When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to Football Digest. The World Cup group stages moved to their conclusion today, with a round of 16 set to kick off this weekend without some of the biggest names in international football. It was a day of shocks as both Belgium and Germany exited the competition before the knockouts, removing a couple of potentially big obstacles for England on their way towards the latter stages of the tournament. But before the three lines can think about the quarters, the semis and whatever might come after, there's a matter of the African champions, Senegal, lying in wait in the first knockout round. Joining me, Peter Staunton and Anita Abayomi to discuss England's chances and everything else in Qatar 2022 are John Cross and Andy Dunn. Andy, I wanted to come to you first uh, to get your quick reaction towards um, yesterday's shocks. Um, Germany last night and just before that, Belgium uh, being eliminated pretty unceremoniously in the first knockout, in the in the first round uh, of the World Cup. What do you think of that? Well, I was at Germany, Costa Rica, Germany game last night. It was um, an incredible night of drama. I mean, at one point, don't forget, Peter, when Costa Rica somehow, uh, I don't quite know how, actually, I haven't been at the game, somehow took the lead to make it 2-1. At that point, Spain and Germany were both going out and Costa Rica and Japan were going through. And that would have been a, a truly epic night. As it happened, Germany came back in and basically saved Spain's skins um, uh, in the same way uh, that Japan knocked Germany out with that controversial line call. Um, listen, in terms of Germany and Belgium, um, it, it is a huge shock they're both out. Don't forget Germany did get knocked out of the group stages in 2018. They also, obviously, England eliminated them in the, um, the last 16 of the Euros. And speaking after the game to, amongst other people, Oliver Bierhoff, the sort of technical director of German football, you know, it's clear that they've got issues, the same sorts of issues that England were sort of addressing about eight, six, eight, ten years ago of the whole system of bringing through young players. Um, fascinating insight from Hansi Flick, actually, when he, he said in his press conference as well that the issues were far more deep-rooted um, in terms of how the players are um, basically educated, trained, um, brought through the system. And he said their best player is Musiala. He says, and let's face it, he says he was trained by England, not by Germany. And I thought that was an incredibly fascinating insight into their problems. And what is it, Andy? Is it that the, they're too static? They're too reliant on systems? No individual sort of skills uh, coming to the fore? Well, strangely enough, um, actually, actually um, you know, all the things, the um, the cliches, and the sort of um, the stereotypes that you attach to German football—that's what went wrong. You know, the, the, their system wasn't great. Their discipline, as in their defensive discipline, was poor. I mean, Costa Rica scored twice last night. Could have scored a couple more. You know, and they really are not a very good team, Costa Rica. So, it, it, you know, all over the park, Germany in the first half, they were looking to get a landslide win because, of course, the unlikely scenario would have been if Germany actually won by seven goals, for example. 
and they could have actually knocked Spain out on goal difference. Now, as preposterous as that sounds, it was eminently possible, but they scored early on, and then individuals basically took it upon themselves to try and break down, to try and get more goals, and they lost their team sort of discipline. So I think that's one of the issues. But just going quickly back to Germany and, and Belgium, it, they are big shocks. They are big teams going out. Belgium ranked number two in the world. Obviously, Germany are Germany, four times world champions. However, if you look at the way they played over the whole piece, over the three games apiece, over the six games, you know, it's, it wasn't actually a surprise that they went out. Maybe it was a surprise it was that close. But, you know, and listen, let's face it, we, we, we'll always get one or two. We'll always get one or two big names go out of the group stages. That's just the nature of it. You, you'll get one or two. If you think of the eight groups and the 16 teams to get through, you could probably predict if you if you selected all your teams to go through, you'd probably get 14 out of 16. Probably the ones you wouldn't get are, are Belgium and Germany in this case. But on the balance, and, and again, also, you look at the balance of the squad, Belgium and Germany, of players who are maybe, you know, nearing the end of their international careers. It's a fine balance. England have sort of, I've got that pretty well. You know, they haven't got too many at that age, at, at that stage, really, you know, and they're sort of being eased out gradually. Whereas, you know, I mean, I mean, Germany started with Thomas Muller up front yesterday. I mean, it was, as much as I like Muller, it was clear that, you know, why, why Havertz didn't start, I don't know. And obviously he came on and scored two goals very quickly and probably could have scored more. And I, I, I think, I genuinely think had Havertz been on from the start, they would have scored six or seven. But the the, the balance in those two teams isn't right. So it was, um, so it is a surprise. Well, uh, it's a surprise, but not a shock. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you mentioned the age thing. I think Kyle Walker is the oldest player in the England squad at, at 31, 32. Belgium probably had three or four players uh, over that age starting in the game yesterday. And England are completely stacked at right back for when Kyle decides to to move on. John, I just wanted to ask you about one player who, from those shocks yesterday who seems to be taking up a lot of Colin Minches and a, a lot of social media chatter, and that's Romelu Lukaku. Um, I don't know if you're uh, much of a proponent of, of expected goals, XG, but he racked up a bigger XG in 45 minutes yesterday than uh, Morocco did in the entire uh, group stage. Um, you know, judging by the expected goals, he should have scored um, around two goals from those four or five pretty clear-cut chances that he had. What a nightmare day at the office that Lukaku had yesterday, John. Unbelievable. I mean, what a talent, first and foremost. I, I do feel as if he is a... Um, a player that's slightly lost at the moment in, in, in his career. And, you know, if you needed proof of that, then then his performance just, just you know, was, was just unbelievable. I mean, that, that miss from close range, when all, albeit it, is, it hits his chest. I mean, how, you know, how has he not scored from that? I've seen all this sort of kind of memes afterwards and all the Mickey taking on, on social media. But he's just, I don't know, he's just a player that's almost lost. Uh, a little bit at the moment because he's such a such a powerhouse for them. He's a really intelligent guy. He you know thinks deeply about I think life himself and football. And yeah, he, 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 I mean to me he looks heavy. He looks he, he doesn't look fit or sharp. He's clearly had a nightmare sort of season at Chelsea when he went there as a record signing and. You know, it didn't work out at all. His his resentment was clear. He, he's then been loaned out again. And he's come, you know, away with Belgium, who have been so long ranked as the number one team in the world. And he's been, you know, one of their key players, their key, you know, key men during that time. 
and he's just not delivered at all. I mean, he's just, you know, his all-round performance, you know, bearing in mind the chances that he had, just looked to be in keeping, I'm afraid, with his, with his steady decline. And I don't know quite what's gone wrong, really, with his, with his career right now, but it, it seems to be drifting in a, in a terrible state, really, and almost kind of epitomises Belgium's problems, really, because what an incredible, talented squad. And, you know, it's funny, isn't it, on, on, on social media, you, you often see kind of, I think we can surely accept that Belgium have had a nightmare campaign. It's, it's not gone well. They were even lucky to win against Canada, in my view. They should, could have easily lost that game, you know, or perhaps drawn it. And, and yet, you know, you kind of immediately get people saying, well, you know, Martinez has, has, has not been good enough. And then you get the sort of kind of the second wave of people defending Martinez, you know, kind of saying, oh, it's not that bad after all. You know, he's done quite well to keep him top of the rankings. Well, sorry, but when you're top of the rankings, you increase that that pressure on, upon yourself and you're expected to deliver. So I don't know quite where people are getting that argument from, but he he's a man now, Martinez, who's... Very keen, I think, to get back into club management. I'm sure they have an eye on the Premier League and the next big available job. But really, you know, I mean, for everything that he's done behind the scenes, which is good, which he definitely has done in the Belgian FA, are people actually going to look and say, well, is he, is he the man to deliver trophies? Is he the man to get us over the line? Because he's not done that with Belgium. I still find it so sad that this golden generation didn't manage to win a lot of things or didn't manage to win anything, really. But that, I guess that's just how football goes. And I guess the beauty of football for me is the fact that Spain and Germany, like you said earlier on, Andy, Spain and Germany, they both could have been locked out last night. And I'm not going to lie to you, I, I was rooting for it. I, I really was. I was rooting for Costa Rica, thinking that, you know, something special could happen. Both Spain, Germany out and give one of the other countries a try for one. Let them have a run at it. But this ultimately alters England's kind of path to the final. So it looks like we could be playing France in the quarterfinals. Spain Spain possibly in the semifinals if we get that far. Um, I do not believe that we'd be able to beat France. But Andy, I'll come to you. Does this look to be more of a favourable route for England to go down? For me personally, I don't see England getting past France. But let's see if we can get past Senegal anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's new, the, the old adage is that, you know, if you're going to win a World Cup, you, I mean, you, you are bound to come across a, a powerhouse team or two at some stage. And and yes, in theory, the, in theory, the route could be Senegal, France, Spain, and then um, Brazil. Um, so, yeah, you, you deserve the World Cup if you win that. But you've got to, you, you, I, I, I genuinely think that England, France and England, Spain, don't forget what you saw last night in Spain's defeat to Japan and in their draw with Germany. Was that you know they're not the team that uh, I mean the hype surrounding their seven nil win against Costa Rica? Listen again, just just uh, um, I did watch Costa Rica last night close up um, at the Albaid Stadium, and you know they were an incredibly incredibly vulnerable team. I mean I, I don't quite know how they beat Japan. Um, I mean Germany looked like they would score every time they gone forward. So so in other words, the value of that seven nil win from Spain. And, and again, it was also a game, don't forget, where one of those games, a bit like England had against Iran, where one of those games where everything they hit on target went in. I think it was probably it was probably seven shots, seven goals, seven on target, something like that. More re- A more realistic sort of um, barometer of, 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 Spain's, um, of Spain's excellence is the game against Germany when I think, you know, they deserve no more than a point. And last night when they were beaten, so I don't think Spain are as formidable 
Um, as one France have got some injuries. You know, to me, if England get past Senegal and it does end up being France, then Spain, then I'm I'm going 50-50 in, the, in those games. I really am. I, I, I generally think that, you know, France might be with bookmakers' marginal favourites for that game against England. Well, I'm saying it's a 50-50 game. I, I, I really am. I, I, listen, we, we spoke with... Declan Rice yesterday, you've probably seen everything from from what Declan he spoke about all sorts of things. But he, he was, you know, listen, they're bound to be optimistic, England. But his sort of bullishness was, you know, was a little bit sort of above and beyond that, you know. And he was right in what he said, you know. He, he said, listen, he was asked directly about Brazil and France because obviously at that stage we didn't think Spain would be in our half of the draw. Obviously they are now, and as it happens, Spain actually. You know, I've now got probably the, the, the game that people wanted, which, you know, Germany thought they might get to finish second, which is Morocco. Um, but anyway, but, but he, he, he was directly asked about Brazil and France. And he said, look, you know, it's just, they're the same as, as us. They've got a lot of world-class players playing in the Premier League and the Champions League and the Liga. We've got exactly the same. You know, we are exactly the same. So if you match up man for man, England are probably confident that they can match up. So I don't, yes, it's a formidable path to the final. It's going to be, that's what happens. Um, but to me, I'm calling those games again. Let's let's get past Senegal on, on Monday night, which will be, of course, no um, no easy easy task. Um, but I'm calling those 50-50, those games. Assuming they get through as well. You know, you, you're seeing football. You, I mean, last night, you, know, you can see what can happen in, in a game. Spain can have 80-whatever percent possession. And Japan can win 2-1, you know, with a questionable, hugely controversial call. That's what you get at World Cups. That's what you get in the 90 minutes, sorry, about 120 minutes away it's going, of knockout football. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's really strange. I mean, Japan, going into that group stage, would probably think, okay, look, we'll get three points against Costa Rica and we'll see what we get in the other two games. And then they, they go and they beat Spain and Germany uh, after being one down at halftime in each of the games and then losing against Costa Rica, the only team they were probably expected to beat. It's, it's crazy. And then Spain, you know, you mentioned there that they've ended up on England's side of the draw. By finishing second in the group, they get Morocco, they avoid Brazil's side of the draw. They get Brazil's runner-up instead, potentially, and or else the winner of Portugal's group. They get an extra day's rest, and Germany are eliminated. I mean, it's really all come up Spain after that that defeat last night. It, it's one of these little quirks or curiosities that you see in tournament football sometimes. Um, but as you say, a long way to go, long way to go before England can even contemplate uh, Mbappe or Cristiano Ronaldo or anybody else that might come along uh, their way. John, I wanted to... Um, bring it into the Senegal game then. Um, I know that you've you've watched some Senegal uh, earlier on in the tournament. Uh, no Idrissa Gay of through suspension. No Sadio Mane, who's obviously uh, uh, ruled out of the tournament before it even begun began. What have you made of them so far, uh, and what kind of threats are they going to bring to uh, to England um, under their management of Aliou Cisse, who's a, a Senegalese legend? Yeah, yeah, he is, and I, I do think there's been a real. Um 
I think, noticeable change in, the, in perhaps their approach just from the, they clearly have um, a star player in Mane and I think they've gone about it in a different way without him. And so it's more of a collective team unit. Um, and, and so therefore, they, they're kind of very strong structurally, very strong defensively. Look at the breakup, of, you know, makeup rather of, of, of their squad though and the players that are in it. It's a very strange band of kind of players, you know, from, from the championship, there's a few sort of Premier League players in there, there's sort of kind of various leagues. If you compare it man to man, there should be no doubt that England should win this game. But I just think that tells me, and, and by the way, I think I've mentioned this before, having seen, having watched them, it's certainly not the game against Ecuador when they were very, very good. I actually thought, do you know what? I prefer Senegal to to Ecuador because Ecuador looks sharper. They look, yeah, they look sort of kind of fitter and quicker. But actually, Senegal won through simply because I just think that they are so well organised, so well to break, you know, so hard to break down. And I think Gareth Southgate touched on this, you know, when a few of us spoke to him in the wake of the game um, the other night, and he was sort of saying, look, we, we've we've watched a lot of them. And everything that, that, that they've done, they're incredibly well organised, incredibly well structured. They'll be difficult physically. And I think that, you know, it will be a really, really hard game. I think the more we big ourselves up, the more we say things like, you know, man for man, England are miles better. I think the more that, that they will take, you can see that. I mean, my colleague Dave McDonald has been sort of kind of in the Senegalese camp the last couple of days. And he's just... Um, He's sort of taken, you know, taken from that various, you know, interviews and, you know, I think El Hesjouf was, 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 you know, was sort of talking the other day, sort of, you know, obviously another legend quite apart from the manager, just saying exactly that, basically. The more England take it easy, the more they talk, talk it up, basically, the more we'll be fired up and more determined to kind of pull off an upset. And I think that's what it will all be about, really. Shouldn't overlook the fact then that sort of kind of England you know, um, back at our bite. It's the same for both teams, as I mentioned before. But, there's, you know, there's no doubt about it in my mind. That Andy doesn't agree with me, I know. But the weather and the conditions, I think, will play a part. Um, you know, the England players trooped off the pitch against the United States, complaining about the humidity. Uh, we've driven home and you sort of got the windscreen wipers on because the fog's descended and it's got all humid and it's it's all soggy and wet. And honestly, I think it's the thing. Andy doesn't agree with me. But, you know, um, there you go. I, th- I think it'll be a really, really tight game, by the way. I really do. I, I, I was there last night and I needed a light sweater. You're up in the stands, pal. You're up in the stands. You're up in the stands. Anita, it, it, Anita it's impossible. It's, it's crazy. So I was at Japan, Spain last night. And, you know, during the day, it was scorching. What, watched England training mid-afternoon and it was absolutely scorching. Oh, God uh, bless you, John. God bless you. Know, I'm not expecting the violins out. I'm not expecting the violins. I know my place. You know, I, you know, I felt I thought of you guys as I was applying the sun cream yesterday morning, please. And then basically, I just, but the reason I bring that up is because I then come back to, to the apartment, write my stuff up, and then depart for the Japan-Spain game, and I definitely needed a jacket. I mean, it's just, re- it's just really weird. And then in our bite... I think pitch side, they're saying it's incredibly hot and humid. But up in the stands, that little bit higher up, because it's a big stadium, that, that one. And then basically, you definitely need a jacket. You definitely need or a sweater, you know, one of Andy's very fashionable sweaters. But it's just, um, you know, he, 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 
I, I, honestly, it's a really... They laughed you, when he packed a jumper. They laughed. Well, believe me, having been here a few times, I, I, I definitely packed his packed little selection. But it's just, um, honestly, it's a, such a weird... It's rather like the tournament itself, actually. It's a, it's a tournament of complete conflict and complete, you know, sort of kind of... Uh, you, you, you're really conflicted in, in your mind what to make of it. And so is the weather, believe you me. But um, yeah, it was, it's a, it, you can survive without one. Of course you can. But to feel comfortable, yeah. John, you've actually killed me this morning. Talking about the weather, talking about sweaters that you should bring to the stadium. Listen, if you are out in Qatar, make sure you take some advice from John about what sweaters to bring to rich stadiums. But <laughs> let's go back to um, the England selections, right? And Gareth Southgate, he has a big choice to make on Sunday. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussion as to whether he should pick Foden, Rashford, Sterling, Saka. Obviously, as Andy nicely pointed out last week, Harry Kane is going to start. So if you are thinking about whether Harry Kane starts, he starts. He's the first name on that team sheet. But Andy, I'll swing it back to you. We have a decision to make with our, with our starting lineup, especially with our front three. And as far as team selections go, in your head, how do you think this should play out? Well, I, I, obviously the main selection dilemma, which you which you've just um, alluded to. I mean, you may well stick with the with the sort of how should we say it the the the, the back eight. Well, you know the, the the same eight goalkeeper four and then three. Um, I, I suspect he won't vary from that. Um, and then and then and then yeah, it's a sim- it's a simple dilemma, isn't it? You know, Harry Kane plays, so you then got any two from four. You've got Saka, Foden, Rashford, and Sterling. And you pick two, and you know it, it is clearly the dilemma the Southgate is facing. He will say, obviously, like all managers do in that cliche, it's a great dilemma to have, and it is. You know, it is, especially considering the fact that you know th- there's an element now with with football that it's almost going. Certainly, World Cup football when a lot of I mean, I mean, you don't go to many games now where either all or the majority of the substitute allowance is used. You know, I mean, I think. In my game last night, it was either nine or ten. You know, I think most games now they will use the full um, allowance. Um, I mean, John's exaggerating a bit, but it is a bit steamy. So, so you know, they can they can probably that's probably why as well. So, what what I'm trying to say is, you get substitutes as in rugby. You know, you you, you look at them in, in different perspective. They're not just coming on at the end of a game to sort of like when a team is comfortably ahead or a team is desperate. They're in a way what 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 rugby call finishes. Rather than substitutes, rugby of that's the that's the coaching parlance. Now these guys aren't substitutes; they're finishes. So whichever two he picks, he has that that luxury of having the other two to come on with, say, half an hour to go. And again, it is. I was a bit flippant about it before, but it is a fact that the games are this new added time um, um, sort of directive has meant the games you know are going. I mean, I mean, literally they are going on. It's it's a real. It's an interesting thing. Like last night's game again, Costa Rica Germany, which I have to say was very expertly refereed by Stephanie Frapper. She was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I, I think that is worth mention that um, she handled quite a difficult game brilliantly. But she showed ten minutes of added time, and it does make a difference. It's really significant. You think, you know, when you're watching games in the Premier League, it's three four, and you think, okay, and it comes to that, and really, yeah, you know, people are going to see it out. But like it's now. You know, it's a quarter of a half still to go. You know, so if a sub comes on now and say 78 minutes, there's every chance he's got 20 minutes to make an impact. So so Southgate will have this option of whichever two he chooses, 
Um, the other two can come on. But, obviously, it will be important who he starts. So it will be fascinating to see. I couldn't sit here now and tell you who I... Th- well, I could, <laughs> who I think he's going to pick. I, I, I know who, who I'd pick. I'd probably... I would probably go Foden and Sterling, personally. Rashford's case is, is obviously absolutely, like, you know, red hot, I mean, considering his form. and But then again, 10 days ago, we would have said Bakayu Saka was undroppable. Two goals against Iran, ran riot. And now we're saying he might not be in the team. So, yeah, I think that is probably the only place. I mean, listen, I don't think for this game he'll go back to um, um, a system he's used in tournaments many times of the back three. Um, that might be the case if they if they do get through and play France and do get through and play Spain. I think he'll probably revert to a, to a more, in quotes, negative system. But I think he'll stick with the same system and just just pick two from three, two from those four. And you take your pick and those two are. Can I just jump in, actually, or just, just to sort of say a bit of the, about the substitutes um, debate, is that Jack Grealish sat down in front of a few of us for the newspapers yesterday and was really fascinating on this. I mean, he spoke for half an hour, brilliant anecdotes, great giggle, really good fun, wide-ranging interview, you know, apologising to Almiron, sort of kind of great anecdotes about City and, and, and so forth. But it was so interesting on that, that, that what Andy was talking about there, about the substitutes and the substitutes game then that basically, you know, there's no doubt about it. He said, look, I want to start. Let's make that perfectly clear. But his insight into what it feels like to be in a sub, a substitute in this tournament was quite interesting because he was basically saying, look, I've come on in three games, got minutes, played a role. They'd say, get on the ball, basically keep the ball, make a difference, basically. But he was saying, I, I'm absolutely buzzing at half time when they're saying this is a difficult game. And the lads in the dressing room are saying, get ready, Jack, we might need you. And basically, that makes me feel really good, really special. And it, it was just, you know, he's obviously done that in, in you know, he came on against the United States, couldn't make a difference, but scored in the first game. And then obviously, you know, does help, you know, it's sort of against Wales. And I just think, well, that, you, you know, the players are seeing this squad game and the subs game differently to what, we, what we're used to in, in the Premier League. Because Andy's spot on that basically they're trying to have this directive, this push to get the ball in. Basically, what it is, is get the ball in play for longer. So basically, if it's out of play, they really, you know, subtract those minutes and get it down. And, and basically, that's that's the, the FIFA push on this. It's a real push in the directive for the referees. And it's just a totally different ball game. It really is a different sport. It's, it's fascinating for me. It's fascinating. But I tell you, the, the players are not sulking. I mean, obviously, you know, someone like Sterling, of course he wants to start. He's used to starting. But the, play, the, the you know, the other players are not sulking about when they're a substitute because they know they're going to come on and potentially play a very big role. John's right. It is fascinating. But, you know, I, I'm probably in a minority where I think it's fundamentally wrong. Fundamentally wrong that you can bring on five substitutes. I think it's, it, it, it changes the game, and it changes the game, obviously, in favour of the more powerful teams. Club teams at home and in and in all club leagues, international teams. Obviously, if you can bring five players on, the stronger your bench, the stronger your depth, the better. Germany last night, playing Costa Rica. Costa Rica 2-1 up, the, 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 you know, the, the centre of famous victory. They bring on Kai Havertz, you know. I, I mean, you know, a, a, a 60, 70 million pounds world-class striker who then takes the game away from him. It's wrong. It's wrong at home. It's wrong here. Five substitutes changes the game completely. Changes the game completely. 
and and and, and I think it, it is it is wrong. And listen, coaches love it because what it allows them to do is they can run players and you know. The game always used to be about, and in, and in tough conditions, used to be about managing the game over 90 minutes, your your players, managing your workload, managing your whatever. Now, players can just run themselves into the ground for an hour, knowing that that's, that's, that's okay. You've got Jack Grealish, a £100 million player, he can come on. Oh, we've got Raheem Sterling, he can come on. We've got Phil Foden, he can come on. It's Anyway, but that's, that's my rant over. I'm going to write that on Sunday. I think you, you know, I think it's a, to me that's a great point, uh, Andy, and it's it's the conflict that I remember Sean Dyche and Jurgen Klopp had this um, tête-à-tête a couple of seasons ago, where Dyche was the one advocating for three subs and Klopp was advocating for five for that exact reason that the clubs of lesser resource, you know, they don't have the same stockpile of talent. You know, they've got world-class players sitting in the stand, Liverpool every week. Um, and they can bring on whoever they like. And obviously at the last World Cup, we made the, the difference was that you could name the entire bench on your bench rather than having to pick a match day squad. So, you know, it does, it, it gets pushed. It's more like NFL these days, you know, where you kind of have specialist teams. It, uh, and obviously the game is lasting longer and longer as well. So I don't know, maybe we're heading towards a, a Super Bowl situation, which would be disastrous because it's a very boring sport. Um, let's talk about... Um, I want to work my way into this point with a little bit of um, it's a bit of an off the wall story, but it'll take us, John, to to the to the more serious uh, issues um, in England's defence, which have which has been solid so far. Harry Maguire's name came up. I don't know if you saw this in the Ghanaian Parliament this week. Um, one of the ministers in Ghana was accused of being a, a Ghana's answer, a, the Ghanaian Parliament's answer to Harry Maguire because he kept scoring own goals, as his one of his opponents said. Um, I don't know if you know anyone in the Ghanaian parliament has been watching the World Cup or whether they stopped watching football maybe after the, the Premier League break, uh, after the Premier League stopped for its um, mid-season break. But Maguire's been absolutely fantastic at this World Cup. And I don't, I think it's pretty harsh that, you know, his name has been, you know, brought up in parliament all over the world as as, as an example of somebody who scores own goals. Um, talk to us about Harry Maguire and how he sort of re-established himself uh, in this England team uh, over the course of the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I just think he's been fantastic. What a revelation! I, I, fair play to him. I think it's 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 a real affirmation of of what a strong character he is. Um, what what a re, you know, really popular player he is. How special he feels when he comes away on England duty. Yeah, totally unfair. They've clearly not been watching um, uh, the World Cup o- over there, frankly. And he's an easy target. He's easy hit. I just thought, wow, you know, him and Stones, I thought, were, were very, very good against Iran. He then comes off, you know, feeling unwell. Um, and, you know, they let two late goals in. And you're sort of thinking, mm, yeah, he did quite well until he went off. And then basically, still not quite sure. But I tell you what, if you had any doubts, he was absolutely magnificent against the United States as, as he won his 50th cap. He was full of confidence. He kicked, tackled, blocked, headed absolutely everything. It was one of those defensive performances that, that probably makes a, fi- a defender feel absolutely invincible in that basically he was never going to be beaten. He felt untouchable. It, it you know, flooded confidence into him um, for the for the Wales game. And, and sure enough, there was, when England was struggling, there was Harry Maguire striding into midfield and even in, into attack. Um, making a, a, a daring darting run into the opposition penalty box. And yeah, albeit his shot in the end went out for a throw-in rather, rather than narrowly just going wide, but it was still a good effort, Harry. And look, he just, 
epitomizes everything that's good about England's World Cup, you know, adventures lately. I mean, four years ago in Russia, he was he was the sort of the people's champion, wasn't he? He's was kind of clambering into the crowd to speak to his, you know, his his, his, his then girlfriend, who's now his wife. And it's just basically really, you know, it, it sort of showed a sort of a boy next door story. And I just think you can't help but love his revival. I think it's really, you know, Gareth Southgate must take so much credit on this one. Because Maguire's been out the United team. He has been playing poorly. He has been struggling. But through it all, you know, Southgate has been ringing him, constantly been in touch with him, saying, you're my man. You're my main man. You will play. I think even to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if some of the other players are going, hang on, what's he done to sort of kind of get special treatment? Well, he's he, what's he done is that basically, I think, he's never let Southgate down. And Southgate knows on the big occasion he's got an absolute mound mountain, both you know, as a defender, but also as a personality. And I, honestly, I think he's been so far just my absolute hero of this England World Cup campaign. I just think you should take so much credit from him. I, I, you know, I feel a little bit of, you know, a bit of spine tingling when I'm even talking about it, just because he's inspirational and I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's the feel-good story of the World Cup. You got me having goosebumps there, John. Goosebumps. Ah, good. <laughs> No, but I agree with you. So I've been hosting um, Box Park Croydon this whole time, right, for every single England match. The first game started off with booze for Harry Maguire. The second game, everyone was a bit indifferent. And then when it came to the last game, there were absolute cheers, everyone going crazy, singing his name up and down the entire Box Park. And I was just like, England fans can really be fickle, can't they? But this is what we expect from Harry Maguire when he plays for England. He always shows his best. He's always at least a seven or eight out of ten. Um, and he always gives his all. And another person who's kind of coming to the mix now, Andy, is Jordan Henderson. Last game, um, Gareth Southgate went to a more of a 4-3-3, had the three in midfield. Jordan Henderson seemed to have re-established himself back into the team. What do you make of this? Yeah, I thought I thought it worked well. You know, I thought it worked well. He wasn't he wasn't spectacularly good um, um, in that, against Wales, but then he didn't have to be. You know, it, it, the game was right up his street against. Let's be honest, the team near at best is probably lower Premier League standard, possibly top end Championship standard. So it, it was game. You know, he's, he played. He has played that game a million times. Let's face it. You know, they've all played that game a million times. I mean, just quickly on Harry Maguire, I agree with John, but. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting to, for him to go up against a really, you know, live um, attacking threat, um, and, and then we'll see. You know, he, he certainly, you know, he, he, he certainly could have probably could have took a book out for the Wales game. Um, um, so let's just see how they get on then. Um, and they did concede against Iran, obviously, and Maguire was on for that first goal, although he was, he was a bit, um, um, he had double vision, I think. Um, so all over the park, you know, Henderson is. I, you know, he, he was he was a safe bet against um, um, against Wales, and again, going back to the substitutes, you have got the option that if if England do need a bit more creativity, um, when you've got Rice and Henderson in the same team, in the same way that when Rice and Calvin Phillips played in the same team, you know, it gives you a lot of solidity. But creatively wise, then maybe it leaves you a bit short. But again, if you need it, he does have the the option. You know, it, it's a big call for Gareth to leave out. Mason Mount, considering you know what he what he thinks of him and how much he he trusts him, but I suspect he might go the same again. I, I suspect it, it it might be you know the same three again. I would have thought he did nothing wrong, um, and he and again against Ecuador, the midfield battle will be crucial. Um, he's a bit more 
a bit more combative, say, than a Mason Mount. And that just seems that the balance seemed a little bit better in there. I mean, obviously, when we knew Henderson was going to play, there was, you know, a lot of people thought, well, you know, it'll be Bellingham who'll, who'll be, who'll, who'll make way. But it wasn't. And actually, that three I thought worked okay. It worked okay. Again, just with the caveat that, well, it would, wouldn't it? Because actually, you know, it wasn't a particularly tough test against Wales. So I think he stays. And, and, and listen, he's never, again, he's another player in the same way as Harry Maguire, right in the same mould, although obviously Henderson's club form has, has been beyond question for, for several seasons. But he's the same. He's never he's never let England down. And, and you know, he won't. And, you know, he, he, he'll have to add a, add a bit of extra motivation, Jordan Henderson, because, you know, this will, this will be probably not only his last World Cup, but his last major tournament. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, and more evidence again uh, that Gareth Southgate is getting these big calls right. He did it at the Euros uh, for a long spells uh, in the face of criticism about how the team was setting up. Um, and again, at this World Cup, you know, he's players like Maguire, players like Henderson uh, coming back in. So um, again, to use John somewhat of an Arteta-ism, trust the process? Uh, I, it's, it's, it's strange, isn't it, that... that... <laughs> Whenever England hit that big tournament, they seem to get their game faces on and they seem to be ready for it and right for it in a way that they definitely weren't for the Nations League in the summer. You know, they came into this tournament on the back of, you know, some bad form. What was it? Six without win, you know, struggling to create chances, let alone score goals. And yeah, it had been a nightmare preparation for them. I did feel as if, you know, if they could make the right... Um, opening statement against Iran, which they duly did, they could quickly say to themselves, actually, we're going to decompartmentalize that and, so, and get straight back into, <coughs> excuse me, a World Cup campaign and, um, and just, in, you know, enjoy it and get back to, their, back to their best. I think that the experience has shown them recent times, whether that's been in sort of the World Cup finals, obviously the lesser spotted sort of Nations League campaign, uh, which took in 2019 and and indeed the Euros last year. You know, it, when it comes to it, they're very, very good at tournament football. Whereas down the years, I think up until Southgate's reign, they've been very, very good at um, qualification, friendlies, raising our hopes. And yet when they get to the tournaments, they've been absolutely woeful and, and, and frankly, not realised their potential or their talent. This, this side... You know, Southgate keeps on telling us basically is better than he thinks the four years ago. The squad, the squad depth, um, the array of talent. I think it was, you know, interesting. A couple of players have touched on this that they actually think that in terms of depth, depth and sort of technical level, skill level, that this squad is actually better rounded and more complete than even perhaps the golden generation. I mean, look at the look at this squad. It's made up of players that dominate in big teams. The, dominate in Champions League games. You know, if you speak to, you know, other sort of European journalistic colleagues and start saying, oh, you know, I'm not sure about England. I don't think they're really, really absolutely at the top of the tree. They're in a sort of kind of second clutch of clubs. They'll give you a look of disbelief. You know, a German colleague of mine did sort of kind of, you know, last week said, are you serious? You know, basically said, we're so jealous of your squad. You've got way better squad than, than we have. And then basically, I think sometimes we don't, we don't always take ourselves too seriously because of the disappointments in the past, but they should be contenders. It will so depend on, on luck of the draw and kind of what happens next. 
I mean, we shouldn't forget that, you know, Switzerland beat France in the Euros. You never know. It could be an upset. I mean, what about Poland? Wojciech Szczesny's heroics, you know. You never know. You, you know, things, strange things happen. And, you know, the, the route, you know, ahead doesn't always work out as, as, it, as it should. You know, England's still got a huge obstacle in Senegal. So who knows? You know, that might be irrelevant anyway. But what I'm trying to say is that this, this tournament, for me, has been about upsets. It's an unusual tournament, unique World Cup, played at a different time. It's ripe for upsets because, honestly, if you're not 100% focused, if you've got 1% of doubts, then it can let the opposition in. And I think England, that's the key. If their mentality is right and they've built up tournament mentality over the last, you know, um, two two big major tournaments, then I think that they can be on it. And that's the big difference. You know, that's why we should trust the process, basically. It's actually so um, weird that you'd say that about um, us not kind of trusting our own team because I spoke to a couple Brazilian fans and they're like, they want to avoid us until the final. And I'm like, England, you want to avoid us to the final? I'm trying to avoid you to the final, you know? But you're absolutely right in a sense where we we are kind of, I don't want to jinx it and say a complete team, but we are basically more complete than a couple of other teams. And you look at Germany and what happened to Germany last night, and you think, I don't think England, that would have happened to England um, going into last night. So, yeah, I guess it's time to take us out, let you guys get back to the, the weather in Qatar. Andy and John, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you're following the, the both of them and following all of their things that are coming out from Qatar. They are, again, if I haven't made it clear, live from Qatar. So they do have all they do have all the information, all the news firsthand. Peter, as usual, it's been nice seeing you this early morning. Even though, by the way, listeners, Peter almost didn't get me on today. Can you believe it? It's not it? that early, Anita. It is it's so early. I've got a day's work done by nine o'clock. Look, I am not a morning person. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> I'm not a morning person, but it's been lovely sitting with you guys. And make sure you like, you subscribe, you do all of the good stuff. You make sure you comment and make sure you follow us all on Instagram, Twitter, and on the mirror as well. I keep forgetting the fact that we actually work for the mirror. So make sure you follow our content on the mirror. And wherever you are, have a good morning, evening, and good afternoon. Bye-bye.